Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcasts, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Joshua. And I'm Grayson. The date is January 22nd, 2017. And this is episode 5, Good Medicine for Bad Drugs, Declaring a State of Emergency Over the Fentanyl Crisis, an Epic Debate Edition. In this episode, we explore some of the challenges faced by different municipalities and provinces as they struggle with the so-called fentanyl crisis. We're also happy to prevent our first epic debate episode in which Josh and I will go head-to-head to decide whether or not management of the fentanyl crisis would benefit from declaring a state of emergency. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcasts, Current, Relevant, Canadian. If you've been following our epic newscasts, or for that matter, have picked up a newspaper in the last little while, you'll know that one of the top stories across Canada has and continues to be the emergence of a stronger and stronger versions of recreational fentanyl and increased opioid addiction issues in general. In our November newscast, we mentioned briefly that there was some controversy over whether or not this fentanyl crisis deserved a declaration of a state of emergency in provinces that have been affected, such as Alberta, Ontario, and BC. And we we sort of dismissed this out of hand, saying that it didn't really fit the, the true definition of a disaster. There wasn't really anything that applied directly to this. In hindsight, however, we might have been a bit hasty. Uh, this issue continues to be um, raised by some very smart people in government and health and public service agencies. Uh, and I'm, as I'm sure you're aware, BC did actually declare a state of emergency, uh, a public health emergency, in fact. So obviously this deserves a bit more attention. So just to recap uh, and to make sure we're all on the same page here, going back all the way to 2012, uh, there was the first recorded fentanyl overdose in terms of a street drug usage in BC. And since then, the fentanyl crisis has uh, has increased dramatically, both in, in terms of the presence of fentanyl in the streets and in the death toll in provinces and territories across Canada, but specifically um, and probably most dramatically in BC, Alberta and Ontario. Yeah, in fact, uh, last year alone, tragically, over 914 people died from opioid-related deaths in British Columbia. So this is certainly a uh, uh, issue that um, has affected many people, and uh, it's obviously very serious. And continuing uh, on this sort of vein, people from both the health and political spheres have been pestering and and really driving for a declaration of a, a state of emergency. And I think that this is a very timely episode in which we're going to discuss whether or not a state of emergency, be it provincial, municipal, or um, national even, whether or not it's going to be useful in managing this crisis. So before we get going, uh, I do want to acknowledge that there is a a really large human cost to this crisis. Although we're sort of tackling this subject in a slightly lighthearted manner and and basically recreating a high school debate team atmosphere, uh, it it is important to realize that many, many, many Canadians have lost their lives either to uh, opioid addiction, intentional overdose, or experimentation with drugs that they just really had no idea would be fatal. Um, So in this episode, we're talking about some more theoretical EM, emergency management topics, but I just wanted to make sure that this was ever present in our minds, as I'm sure many of our listeners are maybe first responders or have been more directly influenced by this crisis. So uh, we formatted this debate by a very scientific, uh, semi-scientific coin toss, where Grayson and I... uh, uh, we're both assigned a position either for or against the resolution. 
And to keep our uh, debate in order, we have our resident uh, public health uh, professional in-house who's agreed to help us, uh, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello. And uh, Sarah will be acting as our moderator for the debate. Uh, anything else before we get started, Grayson? May the best man win. May the best man win. Okay, gentlemen, uh, a clean debate for today. The format will be two opening statements followed by a series of questions with the chance for a rebuttal and then closing remarks. Now here's the resolution being debated. Be it resolved that a state of emergency should be declared to respond to the fentanyl crisis. Grayson, um, I'll let you start first with your opening statement. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen of the podcast audience, Let it be determined that the current fentanyl crisis facing all provinces and territories across Canada is indeed an emergency, if not a disaster, and would indeed benefit from the declaration of a public health emergency uh, within affected provinces and territories. Now, the first thing I'd like to address is this idea that the fentanyl crisis is not an emergency. Now, if we're looking at uh, the human cost, I, I think it's very clear that it is. From its beginnings in 2012, the uh, death toll has risen dramatically. In fact, over 2014 to 2016, the death toll is 20 times the number that it was. And uh, in 2016 alone, we're talking about thousands and thousands of Canadians across the country who have died as a result of fentanyl and opioid-related overdoses. Now, that's only the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we're also talking about a very complex social situation in which healthcare services have been uh, impacted, whether it be for wait times, whether it be for overload of, uh, of frontline services. And we've seen some very dramatic changes to uh, frontline services in terms of the delivery of uh, naloxone as a, as a life-saving drug and the mass of uh, overdose cases that that are are facing these frontline services. So in terms of public resources being overwhelmed, I think it's very clear that they have been overwhelmed. And just judging by the fact that death toll continues to rise, I think it makes it very clear that current strategies and policies and approach to this crisis are ineffective uh, and at least need a, a, a more holistic approach. So when we're talking about a declaration of a, a public health disaster, I think the benefit would come most from uh, a holistic, organized approach with these special powers, and these vary from province to province, but a lot of the special powers have to do with disclosure and reporting and access to information. So if we can have updated, timely access to information in terms of what people are overdosing on, where the overdoses are occurring, um, then a, a more coordinated approach can be developed. And I think that's that's going to be a critical factor going forward so that we can m- mitigate a lot of these deaths that are occurring. Now, BC, as we all know, has declared a state of uh, emergency. They've declared a, a public health emergency. And all of these benefits have come to fruition. They are by far the leader on, on stats. Um, they have come up with some co- really good comprehensive approaches to manage this crisis. It really has helped in terms of bringing all of the interested parties together for uh, a collaborative approach to this. So if the fentanyl crisis has cost more lives than, let's say, Ebola or H1N1 or even some more conventional uh, disasters in Canadian history, which it has, again, death toll is in the thousands, then why haven't we acted? 
And I think the answer to that is twofold. I think we have, on the one hand, a very complex, atypical health disaster that doesn't quite fit current legislation. And number two, there is some lingering stigma surrounding drug use. And that, I think, is is an unacceptable reason to not declare a, a public health emergency. So legislation, if it's a legislative issue, historically legislation always follows action. It's, it's the latent uh, version of it's basically planning for the next disaster. So if legislation is holding us back, we just need to change the legislation. Secondly, uh, the stigma surrounding drug use and fentanyl use is unfounded in a lot of cases with a very high percentage of these deaths being under 18. So young children are just as susceptible to this as uh, some of these more typical uh, maybe heroin users or more typical drug users. So the stigma, I think, is, is certainly misplaced and is not a good reason to withhold the declaration of a public health emergency. Finally, it is the task of emergency managers to bring information from all aspects of a disaster, whether it be social, whether it be public, whether it be health, whether it be law enforcement, together to form a comprehensive strategy. And that is what is needed. Right now, people are operating in silos. We have plans coming out from RCMP, from municipal police, from border services, from health agencies. And there really lacks that cohesive uh, direction and that unity of action that would be required in a crisis such as this. Thank you, Grayson. Joshua, your opening statement? Well, my fellow emergency management professionals, uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that the opioid crisis is indeed a big problem, and it does uh, as Grayson suggests, require swift and uh, appropriate action to mitigate it. However, it does not, in my opinion, meet the criteria for justifying a formal state of emergency declaration. Now, just to be clear in terms of terminology, we're talking about a public health uh, declaration, uh, state of emergency, which is different, of course, from a state of local emergency or uh, otherwise other types of uh, emergency declarations like provincial um, uh, emergency declarations. I thought to outline my argument, I'd go through some of the typical responses for why a a declaration is justified, and I'll tell you why I don't think any of them make a ton of sense. The most common explanation for why a declaration is needed is people say that uh, the government requires emergency powers to mitigate the disaster. And as I said, this is a grave situation, but the emergency powers that are delegated, especially with a public health declaration, are very much geared towards communicable diseases. They include things like quarantine, conscription, the right to seize property, make access to property, uh, those sort of things, which don't necessarily help you in this type of uh, unique outbreak. The uh, class of outbreak I would describe as a behavioral risk-related outbreak, which is very different than an infectious disease or a pandemic or the uh, traditional type of public health emergency that is often um, thought about when we think of emergency powers. So by itself, the emergency powers that are generated uh, with the declaration aren't necessarily the type of powers that are needed. And we've seen in other jurisdictions, they've been able to effectively uh, muster an appropriate response without necessarily invoking emergency powers, which, as we know, are supposed to be a very seldom used 
power that uh, has to meet very strict criteria uh, because we are um, giving the government extraordinary powers to, uh, to take action. Uh, the second reason that you often hear is that people say, well, this, is a, this uh, situation is developing so quickly that the current laws in place just don't adequately respond to the situation. And people are being hampered by regulations and, and current laws that prevent uh, us doing what we need to do in a timely fashion. And while we're waiting for lawmakers to change things, you know, people are dying in the streets. And I understand that position. But as we've seen in other jurisdictions like Alberta, which has not declared a public health state of emergency, they have been able to change regulations rapidly, uh, make prescription drugs uh, available without a prescription, um, changing access to safe injection sites, and all of that was done uh, rapidly through formal processes but without the emergency powers. And I know there's other laws in terms of uh, customs, in terms of regulating controlled substances that are used to make fentanyl, and those things at a federal level have also been done uh, without an emergency declaration. So it just shows you that there is uh, the facility there to make those changes under the current powers that the government has. The third reason is people say, well, we need to have a declaration to improve communications. And while I would be the first to say that communications are important in any crisis, that criteria by itself is a very soft indication, and I don't think it meets the threshold for a formal declaration. Crisis communications are always challenging, and in this case, they, um, you know, there's some delicate messages around risk reduction that need to be communicated. Uh, However, I think some people are confusing awareness with uh, and awareness campaigns with a state of emergency, and they're wanting a, a state of emergency just to be declared as a, a way of raising awareness on an issue and just signaling that we think a, an issue is impo important in its own right. And that is certainly not the role of a formal disaster declaration or state of emergency. There's lots of effective ways to raise awareness around a campaign, uh, raise an awareness campaign, and you don't necessarily need to use uh, brute force to do it. Uh, coordination is important, but we, we've seen uh, through a variety of task forces and other interagency working groups that we can coordinate and uh, get agencies to work together efficiently without necessarily, again, having the emergency powers. The fourth argument which we hear often is about money. So we don't have the resources that we need to financially respond to this crisis, and that's why we need this disaster declaration, this, these emergency access to funds. Well. Uh, we've seen in, in various jurisdictions, such as Vancouver, uh, which uh, didn't use the powers under the um, provincial uh, state of emergency, but independently were able to raise their property taxes 0.5% uh, in regards to the increased costs, uh, supposed costs for the fentanyl response. In other jurisdictions, I think, do have means to access funds more efficiently than uh, a pure disaster declaration. Another issue is, um, again, this idea that if we uh, don't make an uh, a emergency declaration, we're somehow saying that the issue isn't important or that we won't have an effective response to it. And to that I say, I mean, there's lots of medical conditions which we uh, have tragic outcomes. Uh, you look at chronic diseases, for example, and we know addictions is a chronic disease. And I know there's uh, some unusual circumstances with this particular outbreak. However, diabetes kills over a thousand people in British Columbia every year. And we know there's good proven treatments to treat diabetes, but we're not necessarily making a public health emergency declaration, even though a thousand people are killed every year from diabetes. Um, instead, we uh, 
manage the healthcare system in such a way that we organize our service delivery um, efficiently and we try and tackle the problem, which has been going on for, for many years and it would be unlikely that any acute intervention is going to change things. And I, I feel the issue of opioid uh, abuse in Canada is a long-term issue that's unlikely to get better with, with any individual short-term interventions. And lastly, uh, and somewhat cautiously, I give the slippery slope argument, which I normally am the first to dismiss. But in this case, I think it's important to raise if we start the process of declaring a disaster now, then what prevents us from doing it the next time, uh, you know, an emerging threat comes. And I, I think every time we uh, lower the threshold slightly, um, we're opening ourselves up to creating a precedent where it'll be easier and easier to have um, uh, disaster or emergency declarations rather. Already, we're hearing calls from um, various groups that the federal government should be making a, a state of local emergency, pardon me, uh, declaring a federal state of emergency, and so already escalating from the provincial side. And, you know, I think that, again, that just shows how this is quickly escalating. There's a principle uh, with under the kind of child first doctrine, which talks about how uh, various levels of government ought to work together. And it's traditionally applied in terms of uh, First Nations, but it's called Jordan's Principle. And the idea is that any acute response to an emergency should have long-term responses built, built into it, because that's ultimately what's going to fix the problem. And the classic application is in terms of payment and who, when, when two different governments disagree about who should pay for something, the first government contacted has to pay, but then they, it triggers a longer-term process to figure out um, appropriate payment uh, um, uh, you know, down the road once the initial intervention is made. And I think it's an important principle to keep in mind with this opioid response is that it's good that we've got some low-hanging fruit in terms of you know, rapid access to uh, naloxone and uh, things like that, but there's going to have to be some long-term changes to the system as well um, if we're hoping for meaningful change. So again, I think this is a, a very uh, grave situation and it's very tragic, the deaths we've seen across Canada. Uh, but I think this is a, a chronic problem that our society is going to have to face with. And even though the introduction of fentanyl to some communities has been rapid and, and unanticipated, I think it's a long-term problem that uh, an emergency declaration doesn't necessarily help to solve. Okay, thank you, Joshua. Are there any rebuttals? Yeah, from Grayson on the pro side, I would like to rebut... Um, almost all of what Josh is arguing here, his perspective is largely from that of a healthcare professional, which is definitely a large portion of, of this issue, but is not the only portion. This is a complex social disaster, which requires a complex and holistic response. One of the issues that we see in Alberta and Ontario is that agencies are operating in silos and their best efforts are sometimes either redundant or conflicting both in terms of what is being communicated to the public and also in their general approach to interventions. And I think that could be mitigated by a more holistic response uh, done by emergency managers under the guise of a public health emergency. So you mentioned that this was a behavior and risk associated issue, and I, I would take issue with that. I think that it's not. I think that there are a large number of young Canadians trying drugs for the first time that are laced with fentanyl, that are not what they appear to be when they first uh, got them from their dealer, who are dying from this. We've also got this issue of car fentanyl, which is, is turning into a first responder problem. So first responders are going out and being advised not to touch with bare skin 
uh, people who have overdosed because there's an issue with such strong fentanyl, such strong concentrations that dermal contact can cause an overdose. So not only have we progressed from a chronic issue to an acute issue, uh, we've progressed from a purely health issue to a more complex social phenomenon that has overwhelmed our ability to respond, which if you're familiar, uh, is the exact definition of a disaster that Canada uses. All right, Josh, would you like a chance to respond? Sure. I think uh, I would agree with the assumption that this is a, a um, complex social issue. Uh, I have no uh, argument there. But I don't think that necessitates, and if anything, that further underlines why it shouldn't be just a public health declaration. So I think we're talking about, you know, the resolution is, should there be a public health uh, state of emergency? And very specifically, you know, does the current uh, crisis meet the threshold for a, a declaration to be made? And, and that justifies the government having extraordinary powers. And I would say that this is a complex issue with many moving parts, I agree, but the specific authorities and powers that are granted under a public health emergency declaration are not useful in this context. And yes, we do need coordination. And yes, we do need swift action. And yes, we do need uh, stakeholders to be engaged from all sectors. But none of that necessarily correlates with a public health uh, emergency declaration. And I think as Alberta has shown, we can make significant progress quickly without necessarily using that mechanism. Do you think a public health emergency declaration is in keeping with the spirit of the legislation? Josh, we'll start with you this time. Thanks, Sarah. No, I think this uh, type of move is not in keeping with the spirit of the legislation. If you read through the actual act and the various uh, versions in, in each province or the, the federal acts that are related, such as the Quarantine Act, um, the uh, the wording used in Public Health uh, Act, as well as the Human Pathogens and Toxins Act, you can see that they're very clearly talking about how to use the power of the state to curb the spread of infectious diseases. And it's not necessarily just infectious diseases, because there is things su uh, uh, such as, you know, threats to water quality, um, other environmental exposures, hazardous materials, etc. But in this particular case, the Legislation is affording extraordinary powers, you know, uh, making access to properties without a warrant, for example, or um, authorizing uh, conscription or, um, uh, you know, acquiring somebody's property, personal property uh, and seizing it. Um, those sort of extraordinary powers, I think we shouldn't authorize lightly. And we the burden on government and on, um, I think, decision makers to justify why they need to have these emergencies to mitigate the disaster, I think, need to be very clearly made apparent. Um, and it's not by accident that all of the legislations that deal with granting uh, the state emergency powers talk about clear thresholds for timelines and expiries of when those powers end. It talks clearly about the declarations having to be public and for the government having to, or the jurisdiction responsible, having to explain why they needed to make the emergency declaration. And those have clearly been put into the legislation by the authors 
to offer some form of protection and accountability that these powers aren't used indiscriminately. And there's many social problems that we unfortunately face in Canada that we don't necessarily invoke this extraordinary power. And we go through normal processes, legislative uh, frameworks to try and improve the, the health of Canadians. All those things happen without a declaration of an emergency. And I think that shows how society can organize itself to respond to uh, social issues and public health threats effectively and even acutely, but without, again, meeting this large uh, declaration and this, this, this threshold of granting extraordinary powers, um, which I think, uh, again, you know, we, we hold our, our freedoms um, dearly as Canadians, so we should we should be very careful when we um, allow those uh, declarations to be made. All right, and Grayson, same question. I do believe that the public health emergency declaration would be in keeping with the spirit of this legislation. As as Josh mentioned, there are stipulations for hazardous materials, which I certainly think this meets. And in terms of um, a a contagious disease, perhaps. Opioid addiction is not contagious, but it certainly is spreading throughout Canada. There are vectors through which this is spreading. There are sources from which uh, opiates are coming from, both within the healthcare system and internationally um, and across borders. This is something that can be controlled in terms of uh, the source material, in terms of the fentanyl itself. This is something that can be addressed specifically. And I think that time to do it is now. We've, we've moved from a chronic issue. This is no longer a chronic uh, subculture problem for Canada. This is in the forefront of the media. This is in the forefront of healthcare. This is causing all sorts of different uh, issues for Canada in general, in terms of increased um, hospital wait times, increased usage of frontline resources for healthcare, increased crime. All of these mean that it has become an acute thing and must be dealt with dramatic government powers, as, as you mentioned. And I think the most useful ones will be the ability to collect uh, and disseminate information quickly. So yes, Alberta has been doing a great job of working within existing frameworks to come up with a strategy. Yes, Ontario has done a great job of limiting some of the opioids that are available and the way that they're prescribed. However, it is lagging behind the need we have not solved this problem uh, with, with current measures and more is needed. So yes, I think uh, the public health emergency declaration is appropriate in this situation. Next question. Following a national meeting on the opioid crisis, some are calling for more federal leadership. Should a federal declaration be made? Grayson, we'll start with you. A federal declaration is certainly not out of the bounds of possibility, but I think it has to be a stepwise approach, and I think provinces have to declare a state of emergency first. So we've got BC, who has declared a, a state of emergency. Um, we have some local municipalities that have declared, declared a state of emergency, although admittedly not a, a public health emergency. What is missing is the provincial involvement from Alberta and Ontario primarily. This isn't to say that other provinces aren't dealing with this crisis, but it is most concentrated in those three provinces. I believe that a federal declaration might be down the line if we fail at a provincial level to mitigate this, this crisis. Josh, go ahead. I would, I would disagree. I think a federal public health emergency is something that has to meet a very high threshold that has exceeded local and provincial levels of response to uh, control. 
certainly there are some uh, powers that are uniquely federal in nature, such as controlling the borders and things like that. But as we saw with Ebola, uh, it's well within the mandate of a quarantine officer or a CBSA agent as it as they work in their daily duties to uh, stop um, or refuse entry to people who meet certain criteria for symptoms. And um, we've in the past talked about uh, temperature monitoring and things like that at borders. So I think the idea of a federal public health emergency has to be something very extreme and far reaching in scope and uh, something that we have a clear demonstration that the provinces are no longer able to to meet the response needs and that they've become overwhelmed. I think the idea of a federal declaration appeals to people mostly because uh, it's being used as a bit of a political football. It's almost like a way for, for um, politicians to say, I really feel strongly about this and look how seriously I'm taking it. I've declared a an emergency. But if you look at the actions that would follow out of that declaration, I'm not convinced that there are things that necessarily couldn't be done on their own without a declaration anyways. All right, and now we're on to our third question. What are the alternatives to a declaration? Josh, we'll start with you. So I think the alternatives are really close coordination and establishing of, you know, the right people at the right place at the right time. And that's uh, essentially what uh, what has been happening with the creation of multiple fentanyl task forces, including one right here in Alberta. Um, I know other provinces have similar entities. The uh, BC CDC has been spearheading the response in, in British Columbia and uh, making um, some impressive work and headway. The uh, changes by Health Canada, as I mentioned earlier, Bill, uh, C224, uh, which will be the Good Samaritan Drug Overdose Act, Bill C37, which is going to be changes to the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. You know, all of these things are taking place, and it just needs to be done um, in a coordinated and timely fashion, which I, which I think it is. Everything, just making a disaster declaration doesn't necessarily speed things up in its own right. Um, we still need to do the the grunt work of actually drafting these uh, legislations. And I don't think anybody would disagree that it's not an important issue. And I think politically, everyone is very motivated to see these changes go through quickly. So these uh, new uh, changes, I think, all contribute to Canada's uh, you know, move towards a new comprehensive drug strategy. And that's ultimately what, what we need to see happen. Grayson, same question. I agree with Josh. I think the alternative to declaring a state of emergency would be to plod along on our current course and and go through the mire of political um, hurdles and uh, and bureaucracy that exists. And yes, there are some things that can be done without declaring a state of emergency, but it's it's not quick enough. We will just continue to see uh, a rise in fentanyl overdoses, a rise in fatalities, and I don't think that's an acceptable alternative. I think that really the only way forward is a more coordinated, effective uh, approach to to this crisis. And I think that a declaration of a public health emergency will facilitate that really well. Some say this is a matter of life and death. Would a declaration save lives? And Grayson, we'll start with you. Yes, absolutely. A more coordinated approach more dedicated approach, more resources, more experts on this would save lives. Uh, we've seen that some initiatives within Alberta, Ontario have already saved lives and more of the same in a quicker and more comprehensive manner 
would save more lives. And Josh? You know, causality is such a difficult thing to prove uh, with any uh, intervention, any treatment intervention, any policy change. Um, I don't think anybody could say clearly uh, uh, that there would be a direct correlation between a declaration and lives saved. Um, certainly with, you know, evacuations and things like that, other emergency powers, I could imagine scenarios where having access to emergency powers could save lives. But as we've kind of outlined Again, this is so complex that I don't know if we could as easily draw a direct line from a declaration to, to lives saved. Uh, but certainly a timely response is needed. And um, I think that's something that uh, jurisdictions without uh, the declarations uh, have been able to do. All right. And with that, we will move to closing statements. Josh, we'll start with you. As I mentioned in my introductory comments, uh, this is a very um, tragic uh, issue, and it's affected hundreds of people, uh, thousands of people across the country. However, I think we need to remind ourselves what the original debate question was, and that is, is it justified to make a public health uh, emergency declaration based on uh, the criteria presented within the, the fentanyl uh, crisis. And for the points I articulated earlier, um, the fact that emergency declarations should not be used as a mechanism just to raise awareness on an issue. They should not be used as a way to uh, just streamline government uh, um action in a very kind of non-specific way. Uh, they shouldn't be used uh, uh, simply using a slippery slope argument. I think for those reasons and more, um, the use of an emergency declaration is not appropriate and I don't think it's necessarily warranted. That's not to say that the fentanyl crisis is not hugely problematic and uh, a very grave situation that I think we as society have a lot of uh, um, work to do. Okay, now Grayson, your closing statement. Joshua has presented an argument that uh, relies heavily on the technicalities of declaring a state of emergency or a public uh, health emergency. I don't disagree that the original act was not created with this particular emergency in, in mind, and I think that is all the more reason that we need to adapt to the current climate and the current hazardscape within this fentanyl crisis. Uh, this is an emergency. With the death toll, with the cost, any way you look at it, this fits any definition of a disaster or an emergency, and we need to respond in kind. It is a complex social issue that needs to be fought on many different fronts, and the benefits of declaring an emergency have already been proven, as BC is the leader in this fentanyl crisis and the, and the response to it. Overall, a declaration of emergency would in, improve uh, communication, it would improve collaboration, it would bring together needed resources, and that is exactly the job description of an emergency manager. So for those reasons, I think that uh, Alberta and Ontario at least should declare a public uh, health emergency. This debate is finished. All right. Good job, Grayson. <laughs> Likewise, Josh. You're a formidable opponent. Yeah. So it's, it's funny to say that these definitely weren't our original views on, on the subject. I was certainly more on, on your side in thinking that it was not necessarily meeting the criteria of an of a emergency or a disaster. 
yeah. So if we had to, obviously we can't uh, debate uh, in uh, concert very well. So we had to do the semi-scientific coin toss to assign our viewpoints. But hopefully you enjoyed listening to our first uh, attempt at an epic debate. And thank you very much to Sarah for being our epic moderator. You're welcome. And I'll use my special moderator abilities to make my own declaration of a winner. Yes, please. um, That would be a tie. (laughs) Ah, great. So we made absolutely no progress. Excellent. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this is going to be one in a series of fentanyl-related conversations over a podcast. We'll be collaborating with some other organizations, so stay tuned for that. And until then, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. And that's it for this episode of Epic Podcast. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production. As always, this production is designed as a supplementary educational tool for the emergency management professional. And the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not in any way represent the agencies or organizations that myself or Josh are employed by or may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, please visit our website at epicpodcast.ca. And feel free to follow us on Facebook at Epic Podcast, all one word, or send us a tweet at username Epic Podcast. Until then, I'm Josh. And I'm Grayson. This has been Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. Current, relevant, Canadian.